3: Hello! You're listening to the Beer Ladies Podcast with your hosts Tandy, Katie, Christina, and me, Lisa. Our website is beerladiespodcast.com, and you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Mastodon, Blue Sky, even TikTok, sometimes at Beer Ladies Pod and at Beer Ladies Podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to support the show, you can find our merch store link in any of our bios or check the show notes for this episode. And if you'd like to sponsor an episode, please email us at beerladiespodcast at
2: gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Beer Ladies Podcast. I am Tandy, and we have got a full house today. We have got Lisa, Katie, and funny enough, our guest of honor, Christina, Dr. Christina Wade. That's who we're uh, interviewing today. It's kind of a weird one because, you know, the four of us are so used to hosting, but actually today, Christina's (laughs) the guest because... It is now time to talk about Christina's book that we have been, you know, planting seeds about for months on this podcast, and it's now here. It launches the eighth of March, and we're going to talk all about it. But it's already available for pre-sale if you haven't already seen on our socials, and I wanted to put that out there early in the episode so that you all know. Check our links in the in the, uh, in the uh, podcast notes because the pre-order link is there. And otherwise, we're just going to chat to Christina about the book and how it came about and what was, you know, hard about writing it or what was fun about writing it, and all the fun things that go with being a brand spanking new peer author. And also, for those who don't know Christina very well, I think we'll just, we'll just you know, get her to introduce herself <laughs> um, as we do with all of our other guests. So be prepared. <laughs> okay, so um, let me just remind you all you guys know by now that our socials are in a little bit of flux, but we're generally on threads most of the time these days, uh, not as much on Twitter, and um, but we're certainly on threads, Instagram, Blue Sky, and, you know, occasionally everywhere else too. Not very often on TikTok, but we're everywhere. But if you ever want to find uh, older episodes of ours, go to the website, beerladiespodcast.com. Everything is there, including links to all the socials. So, you can find us. Oh, and you can even um, buy merch there if you'd like. I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a top today. There it is. Yep, for those Very who nice. are watching the video. For those, yeah, watching the video. So, um, yes, you you too can look cool <laughs> in a beer lady's hoodie or t-shirt or whatever else you choose. Okay. Fun friends, let's get to the meat of this. But, but first, like, what are we drinking? What are we drinking to celebrate? Should we start with our guest of honor in her predictable uh, skull mug? tea tea yes i
1: i plan to keep going as i mean to go on so here we are there there it is
2: there very exciting Mm mhm lisa what you got tonight
1: so
3: i i do have a beer although a non-alcoholic one i have the hope hop off um again we, we we said before we started it's a school night and i did have a pint earlier because i had to do some work socializing but always really enjoying the Hope pop-off. It's a very good, uh, you know, good go-to when it's, again, an evening where you don't want to overdo it or just need to take a little break. So thanks to Richie and the team.
2: Very good. Katie.
3: Yeah,
0: I'm on water because it's a school night <laughs> and I'm busy. <laughs> got things to do after he things does to do. that involve driving, so...
2: Mm. Well, you know, that's responsible. So, you know, good on there you. There we go.
3: Yeah.
0: All
2: right. Well, well, I'll just be the representative, shall I, of the beer drinking podcast. Do it. Okay, cool. <laughs> I have got uh, Rascals Cold IPA. Oh, Flavors. lovely. Nice. Yes. Do you and like that? you know, I've had this one um, sitting in my little beer fridge. I got a new beer fridge. It's just a <gasps> little, it's a wee Ooh. one next to my desk, which is very nice. So now I can keep a stash. And not in a warm cupboard so I'm um, very happy about that but so I've had that one sitting around and I think I was meant to uh, drink it on a previous episode and then I couldn't record that night so I've been saving it <laughs> saving it for a special occasion and um, and I'm pretty sure you know for all of us were a day sipper but I'm pretty sure it was on tap and I'm pretty sure I had a pint
3: oh yeah yeah it was it was lovely I've, I've been a big fan of it since it's yeah. come out it's I I keep buying it it's, it's good as oh, a yes. fridge filler and again on tap just Lovely, so big fan of it. Even if again on paper, sh- should I hate cold IPA because it's a newfangled thing? Maybe, but I love it. So
2: you're no. breaking me down
3: with the youths, you know.
2: <laughs> That's <laughs> right, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I also like. I want to hate the fact that there is this you know, between mountain IPAs, cold IPAs, and all the other things in between. It's like, I t- you know, I just want the basics. But actually, this is just a very nice beer. You could have told it me really it is an IPA. And it would have been like, yep, sounds about right. Or an IPL, it would have been like, yep, sounds about right. Yep, Not exactly. Judging, just yep. drinking it. <laughs> yeah. And it is very, very tasty. Okay, so, woman of the hour. Christina, I think that, you know, for, for those of our listeners or viewers who actually uh who, who might have stumbled upon this for the first time, this this episode, very first podcast of ours that they're listening to. I think you need to do an introduction um of yourself, please. Okay. Okay, so um my name is Christina. I
1: why you might want to trust me about history, but mm-hmm. obviously read your own sources and trust no one and, and all those other caveats, but why I might know what I'm talking about, perhaps me. Um So I did my master's at Trinity College in Medieval History, which I then followed up immediately with doing my doctorate at Trinity College in uh, History. Specifically, I looked at um, gendered symbolism and Viking burial practices as a way to negotiate power, which is basically the title of the thesis. but I have been in love with beer and beer history for a long time alongside my um, academic uh, pursuits. And um, so in 2013, I founded the Ladies Craft Beer Society of Ireland. At that time, it was a different name. It was the Dublin Beer Ladies, I believe, um, which now has like 1500 women on meetup that like to come and hang out, which is just fabulous. And, and I love that. And um, so simultaneously while I was working in, in, uh, on my thesis in, in academia, I was involved in the craft beer community here in Ireland. And the short story <laughs> is that after I finished my doctorate, I decided that, you know, what I was really passionate about was beer history. So I started blogging on it on my website, which is Bracky Tricks, and just having fun doing it just just for fun. Um did some some projects just for myself it was just just for fun um and kind of worked on that for a while and then we started this amazing podcast um over COVID which I'm really excited to be part of now and it's oh my god what fourth season which I like I'm so excited about um so I do that um I'm also a BJCP certified beer judge so I did that um which was a lot of fun and a lot of studying. Uh, so shout out to the National Homebrew Club for help with that. Um, back to back to beer history. So I had been working and working on this, working on a book on Irish beer history for for a while. Basically, since I finished my doctorate, I was like, Hey, you know what? I want to write a book, comprehensive book from sort of my my time frame, which is medieval history through to modern and it just kind of grew in, in many different directions and so while I was writing this this book I was approached by uh camera so the campaign for real ale they wanted to write a book on the history of women and brewing in the UK and they asked me you know we've wanted to write this book for a while we've been looking for someone to write it with us would you be interested could you send us a book proposal Sure. I was absolutely interested. You know, Camera is a really amazing organization. They're well respected. I respect them, like what they're about. I, you know, I was really interested in learning more about what they wanted to do and how we might work together. So send in the book proposal, they liked it. We sort of workshop back and forth. And we came up with, with the book that I've been working on for a couple of years now um, that is coming out. So it's published March 7th, but the big launches and everything are the London launches March 8th. Although I think some people now actually already have their hands on it, which is really nerve wracking. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that's that's me in a nutshell, but I'm sure I missed things. <laughs> but yeah. And the name
0: of your blog is right? what is the story behind that
1: right so when i was doing um research into beer history so a lot of of course in in the english records and um and then um in ireland after the english invasion and colonization you have records that are written in latin and so brecciatrix is the latin word for female brewer or one of the latin words for female brewer And I just really liked it. It was it's it was something interesting and new to me, and I felt like okay, I'm going to name my website this because it kind of encompasses like the two things that I like. So it's it's very much a nod to history, and then also a nod to women, and kind of oh, it's a different name. So it really, really drew me in, and
2: yeah, kind of fell in love with the name. Yeah,
1: it's lovely. It suits. It suits,
2: doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's very, very cool. And so the book is called "The Devils and the Draft Lines." So, Christina, tell us about the process of kind of coming to, you know, the main topics of the book and why the name and the title suited it, because it's a very funny yeah, name. Yeah, which
1: you you all helped me with. So, <laughs> um, we, well, yeah, shout out to the the podcast who helped me workshop the name. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically, um, when we were doing the book proposal and things like that initially it was it was okay let's do this chronologically and then you know when we were going back and forth it was like okay you know what we really want to integrate a lot of interviews with women who are in the community now how can we do that okay maybe thematic is a bit better and so when we look at the history the sources and things like that We find that instead of these broad generalizations that you sometimes find in and sort of myths um, about women in beer, that the devil is in fact in the details. And so all these little exceptions add up to making the rules not quite the rules anymore. So there's, you know, oh, women, uh, you know, maybe they cheated their customers, but a lot of them might not have done it on purpose. And if they did get caught in England, for example, they were maybe find something that was so insignificant that some historians have viewed it as just kind of the price of the trade. So there's all of these little things that I find so absolutely fascinating, um, these little things to pull apart and then kind of pull it all together. but you know i'm i'm very nerdy in terms of loving history so this is like i i love this stuff um genuinely like adore it i would do research for free please pay me but i would do it for free <laughs> i i just i just really love it so when we're when i was researching the book i was finding all of these strings and strands and things that we can see now so all of things that i can trace from the medieval period to now and there are these all these yeah like all these little details and so I don't know we were we were talking about book topics or in book titles and I was just like I need something exciting and catchy and that kind of and and in my head I was thinking the devil's the details and, and that's something that I constantly came back to because there is this theme of the devil that kind of runs through the book um not everywhere, not in every chapter, but there's there's absolutely, particularly in the medieval and early modern period, this this relationship with alewives and the devil, but not necessarily witchcraft. Um, and mm-hmm. this, I think, is is really interesting, um, and that really called to me, and it was also related to the opening story that I start the book with, um, about someone who is perhaps the devil's sister. So... <laughs> I don't know i i and then i was speaking with you guys and we all kind of were texting and it was like what about this and what about this and we you know there it is
3: i i guess too and maybe it'll help the help listeners to sort of contextualize too knowing that a lot of those primary sources that we do have might be sort of ecclesiastical because they kept records or related Mm. to some of these larger establishments, not that they all are, but I wonder if you want to tell people a little bit about some of those sources, not so they can, you know, go and write the same book, but so they understand kind of how, how much work goes into doing primary source research. I think if you haven't done it, it's, it's a whole new world for people. So.
1: Yeah. So, you know, when we're working with medieval sources or old sources, you don't even know what's going to be in there. You're hoping and praying that you'll find something with history mm-hmm. or something to do with with history. There's loads of with history with, with beer history. So you are looking at any kind of records you can get your hands on that might have something to say. So ecclesiastical records, because we know that brewing happened in monastic communities. So I looked at stories that involved nuns was there anything that jumped out to me about nuns and brewing or or brewing for nuns and and then there was um so there's a story or two in the book for you about that but you know a lot of it is guesswork but it's also building off of um importantly i do want to say it's also building off of the research for people that come before you and that's just a natural part of being a historian so we look at work that other people have done and we you know we Analyze their analysis. We cite them. We talk about them. We, you know, a lot of people will look at the same sources and that's important. Actually, the more historians that look at the same primary sources, the more eyes you have on it. Um, History is about collaboration. I'm here to collaborate with as many people as humanly possible. I think the more people that are doing the history, it's the better. So, you know, as historians, we want, we're happy, more eyes on, on these sources. And so we all kind of want to build and work with each other's work. And so it's important to also engage with your secondary sources. And those are your, you know, your historians and your people who are writing about these things. And that's also where you can come across primary sources. Oh, they considered this. Okay, so I'm gonna take, you know, I'm gonna consider their analysis, but I'm gonna do my own. I'm gonna look at this source and I'm gonna do my own analysis while making sure that you're not, you know, lifting what they're doing, <laughs> right? You're you're making your own analysis, comparing it to their analysis, perhaps. Um, but of course, you know, we all look at sometimes very similar sources without necessarily realizing, oh, you know, someone looked at this too. But anyway, that's that's a whole nother tangent. The moral <laughs> of the story is that we need to be collaborative when we work on these kind of things. And so, yeah, so pr- back to primary sources. So the primary sources, maybe I should define that, is a source that was written in the time period by someone who was experiencing it. So this can become a little problematic because a lot of times when we work um even with like irish sources for example you have something that is an old source but it is in fact written like 150 years after Mm -hmm. the events that purports to to have happened so we have to be really careful about who's writing it why are they writing it who are they writing it to um, what might be their motivation why is is it published is it not published as a private letter why are they doing this Um, And the thing is, is that we as humans can be biased without even realizing our own bias. So, you know, someone can be writing a letter thinking they're being very, you know, straightforward and truthful. But so inevitably we are we have to consider all of these things when we're, we're using these sources. So with the book that I'm looking at, I looked at letters. I looked at letters women wrote to to their brothers, to their sisters, to their family. I looked at, well, there's men wrote about their wives in in sources um, about beer and about brewing. I looked at um, medieval books and early modern books that men wrote about brewing or about women who brewed or women wrote. Um, early in early modern books that women wrote about housekeeping and keeping a beer cellar and one particular source even analyzed the type of clay you should you should have in order to properly make the best beer cellar um, so we're talking about really really knowledgeable women who are informing their readers who are sometimes wealthy women sometimes also women who would be working in service how to best support um, the brewing in their household And this goes on for for a very long time. So those are the kind of sources, also legal sources. So laws, um, the Aberdeen registers online, for example, is an amazing source. Uh, They have digitized all of these these, these registers and it's just a fantastic source because you can quite literally search through it. Um, Digitized records, honestly, as an independent historian are so, so valuable because, you know, I'm in Ireland, There's a lot of the sources are in the UK, so having things digitized is incredibly helpful. It also preserves things for the next generation of historians. Um, I really, really cannot stress how amazing and how painstaking this work is that these historians do and that these, these um, volunteers do a lot of the time to make these records available to everyone. So it's not just you know within an institution, they're free and available for everyone to use. Um, I think work like that is just, I cannot stress how invaluable it is. Um, the same thing with the intoxicants in modernity project from the University of Sheffield. That's another one it was a huge help for me. Again, you can research all through it and I would encourage you to do that, um, because you can find so many sources of, you know, alehouses drinking, all kinds of things that might've been viewed as intoxicants. Um, and that again, it's painstaking work that that database has been put to, creation and it is free to use for everyone like it's just amazing so there's so many wonderful projects that enabled me to look at primary sources and to look at you know these letters or these legal cases or or things like that um and I have rambled
3: no because it's important (laughs) to have that shout out to all the archivists and librarians and you know public historians out there because again I've been one of those people. It is a lot of invisible work, and it's so important to get in there and describe everything, preserve everything, like you said, and to make it accessible. It's not just about, you know, oh, they're all in a box, they're fine. It's about how yeah. do you describe it? How can you make sure people can get to it? They know it's there. And again, you're not gonna be the one who knows every, you know, everything in there, but there's gonna be some historian out there who needs to know it's there so that you, you, you're kind of matchmaking as well. So shout out to all my archives peeps out there. We love you guys. Okay, but that's exactly it makes this kind of work (laughs) possible. So more of it, please. And also people fund digitization projects because they are very expensive and they need to carry on in perpetuity. It's not a once and done.
1: So Mm -hmm. off the soapbox, but there we go. Give them all of the money. No, generally give them all the money. And um, on top of that, also, I worked with a lot of like oral stories and oral history projects, um, Brewing oral stories in particular. Um, amazing team, an amazing project that was is more recent. And again, um, that's in the book so you can uh, figure all that. You can have free access to that as well. It's all online. You can research and like hear these stories from people that worked in breweries in the 20th century. It's amazing, amazing resource. Again, free to use, free to listen to. Like what a wonderful thing that people have spent time making and it makes things like my book possible and I'm sure my book is just a fraction of the things that can come from things like this I'm just a small you know dot in a massive ocean and it's just so important that these projects
2: exist Here but, but you know isn't it isn't it the sign of of a great um work when somebody could take your book and then decide, you know, I want to dig deeper on this particular topic, or I want to find out more about this story. And, you know, the ability to go and dig deeper, I think, is a real testament to what you might be writing here. But I wanted to ask you something here now. So, I mean, the book is talking about sort of a thousand years of women in Britain's beer history. Did you focus um, solely on women in beer history and how on earth did you find all the sources and all the stories for this? I know you've just told us, you know, where you got it, but it's amazing to me that you found so much. Well,
1: like I said, I would research for free. So the (laughs) research phase of the book is, is my favorite thing. I, so I just went on as many databases as I could. So, for example, um, early, early English printed books. I think is, early English is, books online is yep. Yes, <laughs> that's the one. Um, just type in beer, and I looked through you know, all of the sources that came up and I read and I read and I read until I found something for women and I read and it and it was like that with so many different databases or books or whatever. It's just reading and reading and reading and reading and reading and reading until you find something. And it's the same thing with finding secondary sources. So a lot of the time when you're looking for people talking about beer history, they haven't written an entire book about it. So it's a it's a section of a thesis or it's a it's a couple sentences in a chapter. So again it's the same thing. It's read it just an ungodly amount of reading which to (laughs) me is an absolute joy um I really really love that part of writing books like it's my favorite part so it was honestly just so much reading and then again I'm very much indebted to the work of other historians who came before me so uh, I mean I have to shout out Judith Bennett of course um and her 1995 work which is just phenomenal so you know which you 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 have to read that as a as a basis and my and I did not want to I mean she's already created that she as her arguments are well established and most you know have, most historians have who have done beer history would have have engaged with her work in some way or another so you know it was very much like I'm not going to reinvent the wheel she has covered you know Women in brewing and has established it's very clear that women dominated the brewing trade prior to the Black Death, um, and you know, and considered what happens afterwards. And she she just did an amazing job. So I'm very much indebted to her and other historians like her, um, as paving the way to kind of say, okay, they've worked with these kind of sources. So we know that this is here. So I can look at that and then I'm gonna see what else is there in Scotland and Wales to compare it to, because know her focus was in England and so I wanted to consider Scotland and Wales as well. And to be fair, there's also many amazing historians considering Scotland and Wales and who I have cited in the books you can follow along and read their research as well. And so like I said, it's all we all just collaborate and we build with each other. So you know we create starting points, we create our own research and then people, you know, Exactly like Tandy said, I'm going to take this and I'm going to jump off and dive. I'm going to, you know, cite them and and talk about their work, but I'm going to build on that, and that's what we do. And so, it's really important to for me to acknowledge all the amazing historians whose work um, has definitely influenced mine. And I have massive bibliography in the back, so if you read the book, you can absolutely do your own research, and I really would encourage you to do so. Don't take my word for it, you know. Definitely do your own. I
2: love a big bibliography. And, <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the academic in you, Lisa, but you I know, know. I'll, I'll ask a layman's question. You know, how, how did you um, find getting the balance between getting sort of something that could be very academic? You know, you're taking all of these primary and secondary sources and turning it into something that, you know, that every person can read and enjoy.
1: Right, so I, 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 the reason, one of the reasons why the Irish book is taking me so long, and don't worry, friends, it will be out next year, um, was because I wrote it first as an academic book, and then I realized, okay, actually, you know, the people that I'm writing this book to is the Irish craft beer community, and whilst I'm sure that they would read it, it's not as exciting as it could, I could make it. It's not as interesting. They don't need to know every single shard of pottery that might've been found on Bridge Street. That's, you know, you you. it's a different, it's a completely different audience and neither audience is good or bad or worse or whatever, but they're different audiences. And I realized the audience that I was writing to wanted a different story and a different way to hear the story and not all perhaps the minutia and tangents that I would get up to in academic Now, if you want to go on tangents with me, by all means, I'm very happy <laughs> to do that. But I know that I will get boring. Like it, it. I will just drone on and on and on and on with every single, because it's in academia, it's for a lot of us, it's every single example of this ever made. Whereas, you know, when I'm writing for a general audience, it's okay, I'm going to show you one or two examples. This is, and I do mention this, the, the Devils in the Draft Lines represents a like sprint through a thousand years of history. I am not giving you every single example. I am in some ways asking you to trust me because I'm going to just give you a couple of examples and then I'm going to tell you that they represent a larger um, phenomenon. So that's why I said, you know, do your own research because I cannot give you all those examples. And I also, that's the difference between an academic book and a general audience book. When I was writing the Irish beer history book for an academic audience, I was writing 20,000 word chapters and I still was not coming up with the end of the the, of the topic. Like there was still so much more to say. And I think that's the difference. Like with academia, I could write a thesis on one section, on one sentence, one topic, small topic in The Devils and the Draftlines or in what my Irish book is now but instead what I've given you are the highlights. It's basically the highlight reel. It's, hey, here's the the general stories. Please absolutely go off on your own tangents. Take mine as a starting point, which would be very, I would be so honored if someone did that. You know, like I hope that I can, that would, God, that would be, oh my God, that would be amazing. Um, but it's it's not the academic in me who will give you, because literally the the book would be a library <laughs> and I just don't think my publisher would like that.
0: So Yeah. And Christina, how did you find switching gears between writing? So you've said how it's different for the reader. How is it different as a writer though? How did you have to change your mindset?
1: That was that was not um the easiest, but then <laughs> I pictured in my mind actually you guys so i was like and i realized i started to shape the book as could i tell this story in the pub and have them understand could i say this out loud and have them understand instead of you know having as i said bogged down in in a million instead of please refer to the chart on page yeah (laughs) exactly exactly it was can i just If we were in the pub and I told you the story, would you get it? Would you understand? Would it make sense to you? And that's how I tried to write the book. Now, there are parts that I just simply cannot do that. It has to be more detailed. It has to be whatever. But there are definitely, I tried to tell you a story. And we'll see if I succeeded.
0: (laughs) Which type of writing do you prefer?
1: Um... Ooh, I think they're just very different <laughs> for me. So I love research. So I do like to write those really dense academic papers. I really like to take a sentence and find every single example ever known to man and write it down on a piece of paper and talk about. It. I love that. But I also really like telling stories. So I think they fulfill different needs for me. So I'm um, yeah, they're just two different things. I don't prefer one or the other. I really like both of them. And I just feel very lucky to have the opportunity to do both. Um, but yeah, they're they're just two things that I like to do, but to me, quite different.
2: Mm. Now, the, the book is primarily about, you know, women's beer history over many, many years. But you've got all of these modern day players in the book, um, you know, giving their own perspectives and giving you their own stories. What was the, the point of that? And tell us a few of your highlights or, you know, without giving spoilers away.
1: Right. So I think sometimes I think when we when we look at modern beer culture or modern beer world, we think sometimes like things are new phenomena or we don't quite understand where things come from. So, for example, I'll give you one example. So we there is definitely an association or was we're really pushing back on that of beer being associated with masculinity. But. That actually comes in three separate strands. So there's this idea of brewing becoming masculine. Then we have the concept of the pub becoming more of a masculine space. Although it was kind of always, that's very complicated. And I'm very much (laughs) under and over... I explained it better in the book but there is this <laughs> idea of pubs being associated with masculinity and then beer itself being associated with masculinity and they are separate but connected things they're not they don't go together so um well they go together but they're not they, when brewing becomes more male-dominated women aren't suddenly not drinking beer anymore because of that like there's layers to this um so when we start pulling all of this apart we can really maybe understand why beer is viewed the same way it is now or viewed, not the same, but viewed the way it is now and when that happened. And we can say, oh, actually, this this idea that beer was something that men drank is way more recent than perhaps we might think, you know, 20th century. Um this is not an this old old phenomenon so why is that and when did this happen and then we can kind of pull it apart and there's lots of themes like that um and also like it's just important to know ourselves better right but i do think there are so many things that are rooted in these historical ideas that we just I didn't know until, you know, I did the research and you, you you do the research and then you go, okay, actually, this is a really old idea and we're repeating something that's, you know, from the 1600s. Maybe we should not do that. Maybe there's a reason, you know, and, and when we can kind of see this line in between these two things, I don't know. I I, I personally find that valuable and maybe, you know, other people do too. Um Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder did you
3: have the experience and I'm, I'm sure we, we've probably talked about this but you know I, I know like again back when I was an archivist you would be working on a you know a, a collection or something you would start to have this almost sort of parasocial relationship with this person or people you're reading about where you get so invested in kind of their oh, God, story yeah. and I wonder did you have some of these people where you were like my bestie who's been dead for 400 years and um, just like yeah h-
1: how did that how did that come together yeah, so I'm not gonna say too much of it, but there's there's the one book, woman but... in particular, one woman in particular, and one of, um, oh my God, I just felt so bad for her. So she wrote a letter to her brother because her mother-in-law and her husband weren't letting her buy malt for ale and then saying like she to make ale and she was failing in the household and they were going to take her children away. It was this whole thing. And it was just this story of like this horrible mother-in-law. And I was like, how many times can you go on like Reddit or Twitter or TikTok and see stories of like that, that are very similar. It's like, we're not all that different. We have been doing the same stuff. For centuries, and in this case, not in a good way. Yeah. And I just felt so bad for her because it really could, minus the malt and ale, it could have been a story that you know your your sister wrote, talking about her mother. And not to say all mother in laws are bad. Let's be <laughs> clear, some of them are amazing. Um, Many of them probably are. But it's just a, a common theme that I think many of us can have heard some version of some story that that seemed so familiar to us and I think there were so many times where I was like this could have been written yesterday on someone's yeah reddit post this could have been an am I the asshole blah 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 blah, blah. (laughs) um there were there were so many of them um that were just very much like that and then the oral stories so there were there there I did um I used um, not the brewing oral stories. There's another one that was done in the 1970s and it was talking about people in their home life and what, how they were growing up in like the late 1800s and early 1900s. And so many talked about, oh my gosh, brewing their mom brewing. But one of the things that they also talked about was beer exploding in their cupboards and <sighs> I still have stout on my ceiling. Like I can completely relate to that. That doesn't seem so far away to me. That seems like something we would put in the the group chat. Oh my gosh, lads, I blew up the stout again. You know, (laughs) it's things like that. And that kind of make you go, okay, actually, this is, this is very, but then there's other things that are just Oh wow, I didn't consider that, or this is different, or you don't you know, so there's there is definitely a bounce, or not everything is is exactly or quite the same, you know. There's definitely quite a few differences, but there were absolutely stories that that just felt like very familiar. Yeah. That maybe another question too, kind of almost along
3: those those lines is um. Again, thinking about kind of going from, you know, you've you almost been writing two books at once, or, or writing and revising two books at once. How did you kind of find the find the time? Well, maybe not find the time, but how did you say, you know, what I I've got a deadline, and um, you know, how do I, How did you sort of prioritize doing different kinds of sort of different stages of research, if you like, and writing for different
1: projects simultaneously? Yeah so sometimes you know it was just which one is the deadline that is closer and that's the one I'm going to work yeah. on and then i don't know about other writers but i get to a point where i start creating more problems than solutions <laughs> after a certain point in writing so it helps me to um circulate so to yeah. work on something for a couple of weeks when I'm particularly when I'm at the editing stage, when I'm in the researching stage, I need to just be left alone, leave me for a couple of months with a computer, you know, and my husband will come in and be like, Christina, it's time to eat because I will just be in that rabbit hole. Um, But for editing, I'm only like effective really for certain amount of hours a day before I start creating more problems than solutions. (laughs) So it helps when one book is in, or one chapter is in, one phase and one something else is in another for me to be at my productive best. Um, Because I really need to be interested in what I'm doing for me to do it well. Otherwise I just, and editing is very difficult for me. Um, I, it's, I just, at certain stages of editing, I should say are just not my favorite. Um, In the beginning when I feel like I'm actually like, can visualize it in my head where I'm like, actually like scraping something down like creating it and I really like it but once I'm starting to do the like oh did I miss a comma here did I miss mm, and yeah. and I'm just uh, it's, it's not my forte and I yeah. that is why we like to have great editors
3: out there who do all of that all of that hard work whether it's the copy editing piece or like you said kind of that that shaping the the narrative with you um and I've had some amazing editors over over time. I remember I had one, I think, Katie, to go back to your question about the academic versus um, kind of more general audience, I had an editor who said, write this sentence again so that a normal person isn't bored. And I was like, oh,
1: but that is great <sighs> advice because yeah that that, is the hard thing to do (laughs) so it it absolutely is and like shout out to my editor at camera alan murphy like he was absolutely just a joy to work with just really enjoyed working with him he was incredibly professional just supportive wonderful cannot say enough nice things um alan if you're listening thank you so much for all your help you've just you've been amazing um But also, shout out to my mother, who is my lifelong editor, because I have always had problems, you know, like, not problems, but it's just, it's not my forte, Um, and I tend to miss things, and my mother has been... An amazing person who has helped me edit my books and my thesis and everything else. So honestly, the the person who knows more about brewing history than than most anyone is probably my mother, because I can't <laughs> tell you how many times she's um uh, heard me talk about sentence structure and been like, should I say this or should I say this? And she'll read the paragraph with me and we'll go, you know. I really couldn't have done this without just having such a supportive family and I and that is uh, quite quite a privilege and I and I acknowledge that and it's it's been so helpful in my life but yeah oh shout so now, out
0: to the mommy oh. come on <laughs> well done mommy
2: now, now we know what what the bits that weren't so fun right uh, were about like the editing and the shaping and the kind of getting it in but what was the most fun thing about writing this book and if you say research I'm gonna cite you for being boring. Say something
1: else. <laughs> So I actually really like writing. I I mm. like I I I and I'm happy to edit. Like I said, it's just when it's down to like the commas and the and the that little tiny stuff is just not my forte. But when I'm shaping the story, when I'm telling you a story, I like that. That's fun for me. Like I wanna I wanna paint you a picture. I wanna draw you in. I want something to be, and I hope that I do that. I really hope that I do. But I I love telling stories. I want to tell you this story. And isn't this so interesting? And this is what happened. I love doing that. Like, I absolutely adore it. I really like writing. I genuinely really enjoy it.
2: And you also interviewed a whole bunch of people for this book. And I don't mean historical people and and not, you know, works. I mean, people who are working in beer industry today, uh, how did they help contribute to the book?
1: So, oh, that was, I mean, the book would not be the book without them. Um, it was great because I did all the research and I had written a draft of the book first. So I knew what kind of questions that I wanted to ask them. So, for example, I mentioned to you about bottle bombs. So I then asked people, hey, have you ever had a bottle bomb? So that way we could connect those stories and create those lines that I talked about before from the past of that- for you so you could actually see them um, throughout the book. And I had, you know, here's something that, have you ever made a beer that murdered somebody or yourself? (laughs) Um, You'll have to read the book as to why that was a question. And uh, shockingly one brewery apparently got very close, but um, read the book. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it was was because I had written the draft first it enabled me to ask questions that created those like I said those lines in between and it really made it's it completely made the book like the book just would not have, exist without people so kindly sharing their time and their thoughts and their work with me and like I just cannot say enough nice things about all the people who just out of the kindness of their hearts were like yes I will be interviewed by you a lot of these people didn't know me from all From anyone you know and i'm just cold emailing them hi hello could you do me a massive favor would you maybe want to be you know and they don't you know i've i've not published a book before they don't know if they're trusting me it's a huge huge ask I, i i think i think it's personally i think it's a huge ask um to 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 trust me to tell their story um properly and I really hope that I did a good job because I really don't want to let anyone down. Um, but it, it was a huge ask of trust. And and I, I just like I cannot tell you how much I appreciate every single person who shared their time with me and their thoughts. And and it was just yeah, it made the book. It genuinely made the book.
2: Now, look, I, ca- I can't wait to actually get my hands on it and read it. Um, I've been naughty and I haven't pre-ordered yet, but it's coming. This week, I'm committing. Um, but let's talk now because, you know, the book is one thing and it's going to launch, but you've got a whole bunch of events going on. Yes. And people listening and watching might want to, you know, arrive or help celebrate with you or see you at places. So you, can you give us something like an itinerary <laughs> yes. of where you're going to be <laughs> and yes. what, what are the big, what are the big things?
1: Right, so I will be leaving Friday for Indie Beer Feast in Sheffield. Yay! So on uh, March 2nd, I'll be there March 1st for just for funsies with Lisa. Lisa and I will be there for funsies. So if you are there for fun on Friday, come say hi. Um, Saturday I will be doing a book signing and I will be giving a talk. So myself and Hop Hideout. So Jules Gray from Hop Hideout is one of the women who graciously um, agreed to be interviewed and appears um, in the book. And so her and, and I and uh, Tourside Brewing have done a collaboration brew based on Eliza Smith's 1727 book, where she has this whole chapter about brewing an ale, and um, she has a few recipes for beer. And we took one of them and um, made a beer out of it. So, uh, if you're going to be an indie beer Feast, do come along, and we'll tell you about the beer, and we'll tell you, and I'll tell you a little bit about Eliza. And then on March eighth is the massive London launch. So really excited about that. So I will actually in the morning or in the afternoon, I should say, will be at Five Points Brewing for the International Women's Day Brew Day. And I'll be out there talking about the book, um, which I'm really, really excited about because uh, Doreen Joy Barber is another woman who graciously gave her time to be interviewed for the book. And of course she works at Five Points. Um, So that was really amazing. to be able to go out there and share that and talk about Doreen and talk about her story. Um, So I'm really excited for that. And then in the evening at Temple Brew House will be the public launch, yay, seven o'clock. So if you are in London, please come along to the public launch. I would really like to see you there. Come say hi, Um, I'm I'm just thrilled to to be there and thrilled for it to be out and I hope you all like it. Then the following week, (laughs) (laughs) on the friday march 15th at argonaut books um but that's a smaller event so the public event after that will be at mother superior because we have made myself and closet brewing have made another collaboration brew (laughs) so i think i mentioned this previously so i flew it to edinburgh and we came up with this idea to base this beer off this um 16th century, 17th century, 16th century, I think, Brain is, um, beer, with a little bit of inspiration from some, a few other things, so there was a Bronze Age burial that had meadow sweet in it that might be associated with um, a, a possible ale, and so we just kind of took different herbs from different eras and kind of created a a beer around it and it was a really exciting process to do and we also decided that what we were going to do on the brew day is look through um, my book for reasons why women were taken to court to um, have their ale licenses or their ale house license the brewing license revoked and we tried to break as many of those as we could so um gambling <laughs> cursing um harboring thieves so um their dog broke into the brewery like you know kind of fun things we pretended to get into a you know about to fisticuffs with each other um we just tried to break as many of the rules as possible now one was like keeping a dead body and still having a party and unfortunately no one was quite deceased although I do have a ghost on my arm so we kind of were like oh yeah that's not work. um
0: that just sounds like an Irish wake in all fairness having a dead body (laughs) and people (laughs) partying
1: It was, yeah, but it was, it was, it, I don't know. It was such a good time. It was, it was and wonderful. I remember
0: your, your, uh, sweatshirt from Closet Brewing was absolutely yes. fabulous.
1: Yeah. So oh when you're talking love to
0: them, tell them to get more merch because we want it.
1: I, you know, I will, I will be there. Their merch is amazing. They had, uh, a, a, an artist make all, us just, oh, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with their branding as well. They have a beer called Vampire Spade. Like, uh, like love, love everything. <laughs> Um, And I also interviewed them for the book as well. So very honored to have them in the book. Just amazing, amazing brewery. And so you'll be able to taste that beer at Mother Superior at the, that night. So that's open to the public. The Argonaut is quite small. So I I don't think that, um, and then for my Irish friends, who I love so much um april 8th so that's a monday at 7 30 and rascals friends please come along everyone is welcome it is not ticketed you do not have to pay anything Mm -hmm. just show up on the day um i'd love to see you so it'll be um, a book signing and a bit of q a lisa will be asking me questions and i will be answering them and then maybe doing a bit of a reading here so that one is wide open yeah so just show up on the day come have pizza we'll be there
0: it's rascal's so there's going to be great pizza will
1: people be able to buy your book at all of these events yes yes so um i will be selling copies well i won't i won't there will be <laughs> copies to buy at sheffield there will be copies in london there will be copies in edinburgh and there will be copies in dublin you will not have to mind your own merch table
3: someone will yeah make the yeah. happen yeah
1: <laughs> will there
3: That's be merch <laughs>
1: There isn't, but I really I it would be awesome to make merch. Like I I have so many ideas about merch.
3: <laughs> oh, you know, little bookmarks would be wonderful. Just saying. Just putting that out there into the universe. Just,
0: you
2: know. Stickers. 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 Yeah, you we we love, we love a sticker. You, time. Time. you know this podcast. We we just put it out in it and it materializes. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh, and of course, you know, check our socials. We're going to keep yeah. reminding people that these things are happening, and uh, you know, who knows? There may be some impromptu events, you know, as well beyond that. But you know, we'll we'll let you know. Yeah. So that, yeah, you're not what... busy at all, Christina. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> and all of this, of course, is just a prelude to the Irish book as well, isn't it? Like, yay! Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, so
1: yeah. This is book one. Book two will be out. <laughs> Keeping you busy.
2: Busy less. Well, look, I, th- I think we're all very, very excited and we're so proud of you, Christina, here, here. for doing this. And it's just, it's unbelievable and cannot wait to actually read it end to end. I'm going to have to read it three times because I want to know everything in that book. But we're, we're so, so proud of you and we will be at all the events that we can be. And those listening at home and following along, do support Christina. Go and buy the book, firstly, and go to the events if you can. And, you know, just make a fuss. Share it with, like, your social media or, you know, your friends and family. You never know who might be interested because it is fascinating stuff. And Christina's is a great storyteller. So just, you know, take our word for it. and um, But we will definitely keep sharing all of the, the dates and times, and we're thrilled. So should we wrap it up there? Is there anything more that you'd like to, any other things you'd like to highlight, anyone? Now it's the perfect Ooh. Mother's Day gift, isn't it? Oh, ah, because well, it
0: it's Mother's Day, this, this side shot. of the pond on the 10th. Well, this is also your public service announcement <laughs> if you're in the UK and Ireland. Uh, Mother's Day coming up after the book has launched. There
2: you Still go. Still can't get used to this Mother's Day in March thing. It's very weird. <laughs> but yes, what a good idea for Mother's Day good shot and we'll share all the links so all the links will be down below in the notes whether you're listening or watching they'll be down below so go and click on that pre-order link and after the uh after the 7th it it'll i don't know if the link will change but we will share it with you don't worry it'll be on the socials look out for instagram look out for threads um those are the two primaries to look at okay christina lisa katie thank you so so much Um, we're all very excited and lisa and christina best you be sending photos and you know taking videos and doing all the fun things in sheffield um and then we'll see what's after that
3: we, we may even do a tiktok for the for the kids we'll see we'll see you i know, don't want to commit
2: us but we might no one's <laughs> no might. one's gonna stop you <laughs> <laughs> marvelous okay friends have a wonderful evening and we'll see you next time okay. bye